So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. We are in the last chapter. What? We have made it through. If you're, again, if you're relatively new to, uh, uh, to Refuge, we uh, do expository preaching, verse-by-verse preaching through the text. Uh, that, I know that can sound somewhat boring, but we say boring preaching is sinful around here. And so uh, we try not to make any of it boring, and the Scripture is certainly not a boring uh, text. Uh, and so we've made it through Genesis, verse-by-verse, and we've made it to the last chapter. So I'm excited to be here today, and, and I know you are as well. So we're going to pick up, we're going to go one verse back to the last verse of chapter chapter 49, 33. We'll pick up there and then roll into chapter 50. So I'll have the words on the screen. You can follow along with me there, or you can follow along in your Bible or on your device, however you're reading along with us. Uh, Chapter 49, verse 33. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into his bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So we see that uh, Jacob uh, uh, dies right here at the end of chapter 49. We get into verse 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. So that's his name. You know, his name was changed to Israel, just so you don't get confused. It called him both names in the, in the text so far. Uh, Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, I now, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. And in the tomb that I hewn out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. It's like, go up and bury your father as I made you swear. So Joseph went, he didn't have a shirt, you know, and the hat. Uh, so Joseph went up to bury his father with, uh, with him, went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household, only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. Verse 9. There they went up with both the chariots and the horsemen. It was a very great company. And when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jor- Atad beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father for seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim uh, and is beyond the Jordan. This is the son, uh, thus his sons did for him as he had, had his, as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah on the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field, bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess it as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. And so we will stop uh, the reading right there. So our text takes us to where we are in chapter 50, uh, the burial of Israel. The end of his life has come to the end. Obviously, we read at the end of chapter 49, and this is the time where they're actually going to come and they're going to bury him. So he was one of the patriarchs of the faith, right? He was mentioned normally whenever we would see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's whenever uh, you you would hear those names uh, continually mentioned together. And then his name was changed to Israel. Uh, God changed his name to Israel. You'll be a, a great nation. 
you'll be of many people. Uh, verse 2 tells us that they embalmed him and buried him. And verse 13 tells us that, uh, that in the cave of the field at Machpelah on the east of Mamre, which Abraham brought with a field, uh, bought with a field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. And that's where they buried him. So clearly, uh, there was a plan set in motion for his burial, right? There was a plan that was, that was set out, and this is how this is going to play out. And we see that his sons were carrying out uh, what it was that he had asked to be done. And so verse 12 actually tells us that. Verse 12 says, thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. So the text tells us very much that I've got a plan. This is what I want you to do for me whenever I die. And the sons chose to carry it out. So there was a plan and there was a process for when Israel's life came to an end and there was a place for him to be buried. And so we see this. One, there was a plan, right? Secondly, there was a process. Thirdly, there was a place. What do you mean by all this, preacher? Well, I just want to stop right here and say that we should take some notes from what we see in the text. We should take some notes from what we see in the scripture. Nobody really wants to talk about these kind of things, right? Nobody really wants to talk about the things that, that come to us whenever we come to the end of our lives. I, I just did a funeral on uh, a Friday from, for Sharon Lewis, from uh, one of dear sister in our congregation that had been battling cancer, and it just, her life had finally succumbed to that, and I did her funeral on, um, on Friday. And I told the congregation there, I said, we will all find ourselves in the same place that Sharon finds herself today. That all of our lives will come to an end, and there will be a funeral, more than likely, save the Lord coming again, uh, for each and every one of us. So my encouragement to you, church, to you specifically, adults in this church, is to put a plan in place for the end of your life. Put a plan in place for the end of the, your life. You've got wishes. You've got desires. You have instructions that you probably want your family to observe. You've probably got some investments. You've probably got, what are you going to do with your house? Hey, what happens to uh, your cars? What happens to your investment accounts? What happens to your bank accounts? How does all that go in? What happens to your children? If you've got young children, what happens to your young children? I'll just tell you from somebody who has walked through this and been down this road, if you don't have a, if you don't have a plan in place, uh, there is, uh, the government has a plan in place. And it's not fun. I've had to, I've had to kind of be in, in a lane for that for a little while. It's no fun for the, for the government to tell you what you do with your kids, what you do with your money, how you do with all those kind of things that you want to leave for your children. It's no fun to have them tell you that. And so put a plan into place. Put a process into place. What happens with your estate? What happens with your retirement plan? What happens with your kids? Again, if you've got young kids, what happens to your kids? Are they going to go live with, with your best friend? Are they going to go live with your grandparents? Are they live with your spouse? If you're unmarried, uh, and, or maybe you, you, you don't have a spouse, and when you've got young kids, what happens to your kids? Where do they go and live? You better put a plan in place. You better put a process in place for what's going to happen at that point. And then choose a place to be buried and how you want that to play out. About, you know, what you want to, what you want to wear. If you want to wear a Mississippi State shirt, you know, you want to wear a Hawaiian shirt like Paul's got on. Look at Paul's shirt. I mean, Paul might want to wear that one day when he's buried. I think that'd be fantastic. 
Carol told me that she demanded that she did not want an open casket. She was like, close the casket. I don't want to have an open casket. And I said, I told her, I said, she will be dead and she won't get a vote. And I'll get to do it the way I want to do it. <laughs> but these things were set in motion, right? I mean, these, uh, these three kinds of things, a plan and a process and a place were set in motion. And you should set them in motion in your life for whenever you draw your feet up in the bed and breathe your life and you are drawn to your people. That's just, a, that's just something that we can see from an old, think about that, from an Old Testament text, from, from one of the patriarchs of the faith, that we can see that, that is applicable for you and me today. But before there was a process that was set in motion, there was mourning. Before the process ever got started, there was mourning. Look what, uh, the, what the scripture says. Verse 1 says this, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And then verse 4 says, And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying these things. In verse 10, When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. Verse 11, When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Jordan. So, what is mourning? I mean, what is mourning? The, there's the definition of mourning says this: it's an expression of deep sorrow for someone who has died. Pretty straightforward. An expression of deep sorrow for someone who has died. Lamentation. There's a book in the scripture called Lamentations. But what is lamentation? The lamentation, the definition of lamentation says, a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And man, we know something about mourning, right? I mean, I know we say it often here, but we just know something about mourning here at Refuge. If you're new to Refuge, the past three and a half years uh, have been very difficult. Uh, an inordinate number of people in our church family, most of them died suddenly. Many of them died just quickly and uh, without a whole lot of warning. Some were sick, uh, and we had a little bit of a runway. Even then, it's not easy, but many of our church family, they were sudden and quick and unexpected deaths. This church family mourned deeply. We lamented regularly over the deaths of our family and our friends. And, and you know, mourning and, and, and lamenting, they are just the natural outpouring of the expressions that we feel whenever there's someone close to us, whenever they, uh, whenever they die. And that's just a, a natural expression. No matter if, if they lived a long life, so someone was older whenever they die, if we, we love someone that is older, we lament and we mourn over their death, right? I mean, we, many of us have experienced those kind of things. Or if they die suddenly at an early age, it's the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of mourning that we enter into. None of us want our loved ones to die and leave us here on earth. I mean, we, just, we don't want that to happen. But the reality is it's a natural thing that life comes to the end for all of us. 
We've all, all heard that there are three things that are certain, right? One, death will come. Two, your taxes will come due. And three, Ole Miss will watch somebody else play in the SEC championship game. I mean, <laughs> and morning comes after all three of those, right? In all seriousness, death will come. And mourning for those that we love is just as natural as breathing in air. Just as natural as breathing in air is the exhale of the mourning that comes whenever we lose a loved one. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says this, that we should rejoice with those who rejoice, and we should weep with those who weep. We should rejoice with those who rejoice. If, if there's people around you that are celebrating some things, man, hop in on that party bus and, and roll on because that's some good times, right? Everybody loves a good party bus from time to time. And, and so ride on that thing while, while it's good and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. It, 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 join in the party whenever someone's celebrating something. If you, don't, if you don't get invited to the party, crash the party, right? We love to crash the party here at Refuge, right? I will crash the party in a heartbeat. But rejoice with those who rejoice. And in the same verse, literally, Paul writes, weep with those who weep. The fun part, big fun, likes to go to the party. It's difficult to weep with those who weep. And man, we're called to do it. And Refuge, you've really done it well with the people who've had to weep around here. Unfortunately, we've, had to be, we've been thrown into it a lot. But we're being biblical. We're being, that's what, following Jesus calls us to do. Celebrate and lament. Celebrate and lament. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. We see Joseph and his entire family weeping here. Uh, it, it's an interesting note that the sons were involved. Uh, all the sons weep. I mean, it, it says that the whole family was weeping and, and the sons participated in the burial of their father. And if you remember uh, from a couple of weeks ago, whenever Heath preached and then I preached last week uh, on this same kind of text, all the sons didn't receive this glowing blessing from the father. Remember that? I mean, some of the sons were like condemned for, and he, you know, he's, he's lay, about to lay on his deathbed. He's kind of, remember, he's sitting on the side because the scripture says the last thing, he rolls over in his bed, pulls his feet up in the bed, and dies. So he's like, he's sitting on the edge of the bed, and he's telling his sons, hey, this is what you've done in the past. And so for this, you're not going to receive this big inheritance. You know, remember whenever you slept with your brother's wife, remember all that kind of stuff? Like, like. Pops is bringing up all the bad stuff uh, from his life here. I'm like, can the old man just go on, you know, uh, be quiet, you know, I don't want to hear any more of that. But he brought it all up and he, and he put it out in the open for them and he said, but this is, this is what your future is going to be like. And so uh, all the sons uh, were involved in that. Even after he said all the very difficult things that his son had to, sons had to hear, they mourned the death of their father. Mourning comes from a place of honor. Mourning comes from a place of love. Mourning comes from a place of humility. Look, we all do the best we can do, right? I mean, are you doing the best you can do in this life? If you're doing the best you can do, raise your hand. Ooh. If you're doing 80% of what you think, 
Let's lower the bar. We're going to lower the bar today. How about 50%? Come on. All right. I'm just going to assume some things here then. Uh, I'm going to assume we're all doing the best we can do. We're all trying to live well. We're all trying to care for others, right? I mean, we're all trying to do sometimes the best that some of you are, a handful of you are doing the best you can do. But sometimes we just don't get it right, right? Sometimes you just don't get it right. Sometimes we just don't. The same goes for your parents and your family. Sometimes they just don't get it right. Sometimes they just royally mess it up. Yet the time for mourning will come for them too. And so I want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage you to, one, revisit all that. See, if you live in a place where, you know, kind of like Israel's sons and, you know, he, he kind of poured it out on them, good, right, indifference, what, what they had done or what they hadn't done. He just kind of laid it all out there for them. Hey, this is what you've done. And I'm sure there were some very difficult relationships that were there. He kind of laid it all out for them, but they came to honor him. And maybe you're in a place where you go, I can't honor my parents. I can't honor the loved ones in my life because of X, Y, or Z. I just want you to revisit it. As people of God, listen, as people of God who have been forgiven all of our sins, who, who have been able to cast all our sins on the Lord, who, who our God, the, the, the God of the universe who is perfect and does everything good and right and perfect doesn't hold any of my grievous sins against me, and if you're a Christian doesn't hold any of your grievous sins against you, I want you to revisit that. When you revisit that, if there's a way for you to reconcile that relationship, I want you to be the one to push for reconciliation. As people of God, I want you to be the people that push for reconciliation. Preacher, you don't know what's happened in my family. You're probably right. You don't know, preacher, the things that were done to me. You're probably right. But as people of the cross, we're called to live differently. We're going to talk about that before we get out of this sermon. We're called to something different. We're called to be a different people. We're called to be people who are, uh, who are of the cross, who, don't hold, who our sins are not held against us by a good and righteous God, who very well should be able to hold our sins against us, right? And he doesn't. It's the scandalous nature of the gospel. And as gospel people... We're called to live like that as well. I want you to just consider revisiting that and consider reconciling again and consider reestablishing a line of communication where one might have been cut off before it's too late. There's mourning that went on, and mourning will come for all of us at some time. But even before there was mourning, Obviously, there was a death. Look at verse 33. It says, when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So Israel dies. The, the man Israel dies. And, and Israel's days were numbered by the Lord, just like yours and my days are numbered by the Lord. Okay? 
Yours and my days uh, have a number. And at that point, there's no more work for you and me to do here on this earth. I, I tell people all the time that I am invincible until the Lord says it's my time. Okay? COVID can't get me. Uh, nothing can get me. I can walk along the edge and I ain't falling off the cliff unless it's my time. The Lord has numbered my days. I, I don't tempt the Lord, but... Uh, <laughs> And I ain't walking out on the edge. Uh, I'm staying away from the edge. Uh, but, but my days are numbered. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, And just as is, it is appointed to man once to die, after that comes judgment. So there is an appointed time for each of us to die. Okay? You have a date. Wherever it is, somewhere out there, there's a date for you. And then the judgment actually comes. Psalm verse 130, uh, chapter 139, verse 16 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before any of your days actually came, all of your days were numbered in the book from the Lord. Okay? There's a book. And it says, Scott Benjamin gets 86 years. I've already seen it. I'm just kidding. That's what I'm hoping for. 86 years. Nobody believes that one, though. I can't say that I blame them. Um, James chapter 4, uh, I don't have this one on the screen, but James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14 says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and, sp and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We're going to talk about that just in a moment as well. And so our, our lives are quick and our lives will actually come to an end at some point. And, and none of today's text was about anything that Joseph uh, our, uh, 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 Jacob was currently doing on earth. It was done for him and done around him. Uh, yes, he set much of this in motion, but he himself didn't do any of it. And you say, well, what's your point around this, Pastor? My point is that in this space um, that comes uh, before our death, you know what I want you to do? I want you to live. I want you to live. I want you to live this life that you've been given. Israel certainly lived a, a full and historic life. I mean, the story of his family has taken much of our time in Genesis as we've walked through uh, this uh, first chapter of this first book of the Bible. Uh, he left a mark that uh, is proclaimed and taught and studied. Uh, we're studying it today, and, and his life was certainly taking that time up that, that we're getting to look into today. And your life never, may never be written about like this. Your life may never be studied. Your life may never be written about and preached about or somewhere. Our lives may never fall into this kind of, uh, of the, way that, uh, uh, the way that Israel's life has come about. But for you and me, the message is very, very clear. Do what you can, while you can, with what you've been given, for the benefit of others, and for the glory of God. That's what we're called to. Do what you can, while you can, with what you've been given, for the benefit of others, and the glory of God. In other words... Point people to Jesus while you still have time. Our time is short. Your life is like a vapor. We've already seen it. So I was trying to find a vape today. And so I texted some of my friends. 
and ask if they had a vape. Well, nobody's going to tell the preacher that they vape, I guess. And so, uh, and so I'm like, no, nobody would admit to it. And I was like, okay, I, you're such a liar. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm ad-libbing. It's like a flamethrower. So the scripture says our life is like a vapor. You see that? This is your life. And it's gone. That's it. How quick was that? That's what the scripture likens our life to. It's that fast. It's that quick. It happens suddenly like that. Use it. Live it wisely. In your life, you're going to have relationships. Israel certainly had relationships. And the Egyptians, the scripture tells us that people came out, they lamented over his death. And so the Egyptians knew who he was. And, and, and they talked about them in our text today. Pharaoh, they went to Pharaoh and talked about his burial and how all that was going to play out and how that was going to happen. The Canaanites saw that so many people were affected by his uh, life, that they, were, they, they, they took note of the fact that his life was lived in a certain way. And, and there's a song uh, uh, that, that I, that I want to talk about because you're going to have a, an untold number of relationships yourself, right? We all, you all have different relationships. We don't have the same ones. So we're all going to have untold different relationships. And I just want you to make a difference in those relationships. It, your life should make a difference to the people around you. As specifically as a follower of Jesus, one who has been rescued from sin and death, that is filled with the Spirit of God, your life should make a difference. There's a song uh, right outside right now. It's called Be a Light. You know that song? I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say it. Everybody calm down, Angie. <laughs> Remember the old uh, uh, Nike commercials uh, with uh, Michael Jordan? It's like, be like Mike. Christians, I want us to be like Jesus. The song goes like this. In a time full of war, be peace. In a time full of doubt... Just believe. Yeah, there ain't much difference between you and me. In a time full of war, be peace. In a world full of hate, be a light. When you do somebody wrong, make it right. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> Don't hide in the dark. You were born to shine in a world full of hate. Be a light. In a place that needs change, make a difference. In a time full of noise, just listen. Because life is but a breeze, better live it. In a place that needs change, make a difference. In a world full of hate, be a light. When you do somebody wrong, Make it right. Oh, don't hide in the dark. You were born to shine. World full of hate, be a light. Listen. In a race that you can't win, slow it down. You only get one go around. Because the finish line is six feet in the ground. In a race you can't win, just slow it down.
In a world full of hate, be a light. When you do somebody wrong, make it right. Don't hide in the dark. You were born to shine. In a world full of hate, be a light. And to live like that, I mean, I mean to, to make a difference like that, we have to do something we talk around here a lot. Live differently. Live differently. I said this before. I've preached this before. I've got a thing that Tanya Hawkins made me that's got hashtag live differently that's on my mantle because that's what I want to do. I want to live. We're called to live differently. We, we said that often here at Refuge, uh, but it's really what following Jesus is calling. It calls us to do is to live differently. Uh, Jacob was called to do something different. He was called to do something different. He was called to follow God and become a people. He's like, I'm going to make you a great people. And God says, I'm going to do something with you that I haven't done with anybody else before. And so it's going to call you to live differently. It's going to call you, cause you to have to do something different. Listen, he didn't do it all right. We've seen all that in the text. He made some sketchy decisions, right? He lived a full life. But honestly, it was one that's filled with fallacies and failures along the way. And honestly, your life will be much the same. You, you're called to something. Each of you are called to something bigger than just going through the motions. You won't get it all right. You'll make some sketchy decisions. You'll live a life that's full of fallacy and failures along the way. But Israel was called by God, loved by God, set apart by God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then God has called you to something more than eight to five, Monday through Friday, vacations and raising kids. He's called you to more than that. More than that. He's called you to be his own. He's called you to take a, to deny yourself. To take up your cross and follow him. What does that mean? That means this is not about me. Uh, taking up my cross means that I die to everything that I want to do. That my life doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to him. To follow him. That means we think of others more. That means we die to our own self and our own plans. And that means we, we set Jesus as our highest value. That his calling as our highest value. So living differently today, church means actually being a missionary in our own context. Look, we say that every, every day here at Refuge. Every Sunday at Refuge. Whenever, remember at the end we go, hey, what are you and what do you say? And y'all say it with about that much enthusiasm. <laughs> every Sunday. Because it's just become a rote thing that you say, and I'm not sure any of you believe it. We're called to live differently. We're called to be different. Our lives are called to be something else than just the suburban life that we're all just accustomed to living. To leave a legacy in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, in our family. Means actually becoming a disciple of Jesus. Learning his ways, learning his truths, learning that he is the hope of the world, and then not just storing all that up and holding it all for ourselves, but learning it so that we can be a channel of that to other people. That's what we're called to do, church. That's who we're called to be, church. 
That's how we're called to spend our life, church. Whenever we say stop just going to church and start being the church for one another in the city, we actually really mean that. So when you die, when you draw your feet up in the bed, you breathe your last breath, you're gathered to your people. I want you to have accomplished all the things that God calls you to do. Remember? This is your life. that quick make your life count for eternal things make your life count for the one who rescued your soul make your life count for Jesus let me pray for us